We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Episode 51 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Friday, April 30th, 2021. The first round of the 2021 NFL Draft is complete, and the Washington football team got itself a linebacker. Jamin Davis of Kentucky, a physical freak, a tackling machine, a guy who, by all accounts, is a great guy. I like the pick. I have no problem with the pick. I trust those who made the pick. We'll see if that trust is rewarded. But you have a head coach in Ron Rivera in a coach-centric approach who was a good NFL linebacker himself. You have a defensive coordinator in Jack Del Rio who was a good NFL linebacker himself. You have two guys in your front office in Marty Herney and Martin Mayhew with histories of drafting good to great linebackers. I don't know. Call me crazy. But maybe, just maybe, 
Washington knew what it was doing in taking Jamin Davis and not the Notre Dame linebacker, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. That's just me, little old me, silly old me. Maybe just maybe the adults in charge with massive histories of not just drafting good linebackers, but in the cases of Ron and Jack having been actual good linebackers, knew what to look at with Davis versus JOK. Just a thought, but hello and welcome to a very special installment of the Al Galdi podcast. What I am pleased to say is the first of multiple special installments of the Al Galdi podcast because my friends, I am announcing right now that this weekend there will be bonus installments of the Al Galdi podcast. Yes, with this being NFL draft weekend for the first time ever, I will be doing a Saturday edition of the Al Galdi podcast and a Sunday edition of the Al Galdi podcast. Saturday's show will recap whatever Washington does on Friday night in the second and third rounds. Sunday's show will recap whatever Washington does on Saturday in rounds four through seven. This is my gift to you, the loyal listener. You guys have been great since I launched this thing just two months ago. I mean, that's it. Just two months ago. The podcast, as I taped this very early Friday morning, is number 43 in the country on Apple Podcasts in the U.S. football category. Do you know how many thousands of podcasts there are in this country? And we're number 43. And so I thank you. And I will be doing bonus episodes this draft weekend, Saturday and Sunday. So look for those. Uh, Hopefully you subscribe to the podcast or the episodes whenever they come out, come to you automatically. If not, uh, please consider subscribing. It costs nothing and uh, does help the podcast out a lot, as does giving the podcast a five-star rating and uh, writing just like a one-sentence review. Takes like 30 seconds. All right, so my analysis of Washington taking Jamin Davis is coming up in moments. I'm also going to talk about what Washington did not do on Thursday night as Washington did not trade up for Justin Fields or Mac Jones, you know, could have traded up for Mac Jones, but Fields was the one who really stood out, right? Off all of the talk of Washington liking Fields, uh, I guess that like only went so far. I've got a lot to say about all that. Uh, also, I will talk Aaron Rodgers. How about that bombshell? Rodgers wants out of Green Bay. Will the Packers actually trade him? Should Washington be in on trading for Aaron Rodgers? Maybe that's why Washington didn't trade up for Justin Fields on Thursday night. Ron Rivera's planning on trading for A-Rod. You know, keep in mind, they did go to the same college, right? For whatever that's worth. Uh, I'm not sure it's worth much, but it is something. Uh, Ron went to Cal Rodgers went to Cal. Uh, Also, I will talk Capitals. They lost to the Pittsburgh Penguins on Thursday night, but did so in overtime, picked up a point, and clinched a playoff spot. Terrible timing for the Caps to clinch a playoff spot while the first round of the NFL draft was going on, and you probably didn't have as many people paying attention as you would like, but still a great accomplishment. The Capitals off to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Once again, I will give them proper praise a little later on. I'll talk some Orioles as well. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast, at yahoo.com. You can tweet me too, at Al Galdi. Got this tweet from WFT fan, as I got tweets from many of you on Thursday night, and keep it coming. Uh, WFT fan wrote, how awkward was at NFL commish, i.e. Roger Goodell, saying, Washington football team, he stuttered through it, as Galdi said, the flow is wrong. Commanders or Warriors would be better P.S. Galdi, love the intro music on the pod. Mention me tomorrow. Well, there you go, WFT Finn. Uh, you have been mentioned. He also, in this tweet, men, uh, tags Jason Wright, the Washington football team president. So Wright sees what uh, WFT Finn 
was writing. I mean, G- Goodell, that is just kind of how he speaks. He's not exactly, uh, I don't know, Martin Luther King Jr. in terms of delivery, in terms of strength of voice. But yeah, Washington football team will never sound right. It isn't right. It's not a name, okay? It's not a name. I'm fine with it as a placeholder, but it's not a freaking name, okay? At some point, they've got to pick something uh, to go ahead and do. I will say, though, it was really cool to see fans back at the draft you know, this did feel like the reopening of the NFL. You know, the NFL did have itself a season, and there were plenty of fans at games this past postseason, including the Super Bowl. You had tens of thousands of people at the Super Bowl. But the draft last year, remember the big deal about the draft last year and the whole Adam Schefter thing of carnage in the streets and you can't conduct a draft, and the NFL did conduct a draft. This kind of felt like, okay, a year later, NFL calendar has started up again, and this time the draft is back to having fans. You know, I don't know. It just it felt like a reopening for the NFL. It was great to see all those people, and it was a thing. You know, the NFL draft has become such a thing. We'll see what the television rating ends up being. It was record-breaking last year. I expect it to be really big again this year. You know, I, I the NFL has not fallen prey to the thing that has gotten these other sports recently where the television ratings have tanked. NFL ratings have done quite well, and I would anticipate that continuing for the draft, especially night one, but we'll see, obviously, what the number ends up being. Speaking of the television coverage of the draft, did you see the boo-boo that NFL Network committed on Thursday night when putting up a graphic about the Washington football team in the offseason and making mention of Washington again, slapping Brandon Sheriff with a non-exclusive franchise tag. NFL Network had his name as, you know, and sometimes they'll, they'll abbreviate the first name. So they uh, put Sheriff as B. Shurg. It was B period and then capital S C H E R G G colon designated franchise player March 8th. So his name is Brandon Sheriff. When he was drafted six years ago, the commissioner, Roger Goodell, called him Brandon Scherf. Brandon Scherf. Yes, thank you, commissioner. And on Thursday night, NFL Network had his name as B. Scherg. Okay, B. Scherg. Brandon Scherg, apparently, is who the right guard is. So he's either Brandon Scherf or Brandon Scherg or the guard, as Jay Gruden once said. And the other one's a guard. Yes, exactly. Thank you very much. All right, enough hijinks. We have football to discuss as Thursday night was a big night for the Washington football team. We get into what Washington is getting in Jamin Davis momentarily. Spoiler alert, he's a freak in a good way, just like one of the great supporters of this podcast, John Granlund. Now, I don't know what John G's 40 time is, but I do know that he's doing something that's game-changing, and that is selling homes for zero commission. Look, selling a home is not fun. We all get that. It's stressful. It's time-consuming. And then when it's done, you have to give tens of thousands of dollars of your money to the real estate agent. Well, what if that last part was no more? John Grandland, John G with Real Broker, is changing the way that real estate is done. He is selling homes for free. That's right, for free. Zero commission and you don't lose out on anything. You still get great high-level service. You just don't have to pay him anything in terms of commission. Here's how this works. For those living in Northern Virginia, if you buy and sell with John, the commission paid to John when you sell is refunded back to you when you buy, making the total commission paid to John when you sell zero. And if you're not selling a home in Northern Virginia, no worries. John can connect you with a top-producing partner agent who can offer you the same great services with a discounted fee. Some conditions apply. 
Just ask Kay, who had John sell a single-family home in Ashburn. Quote, Jonathan is the best. He is professional with a thorough knowledge of real estate. He helped us with the sale of a home in Reston and one in Ashburn, and both went smoothly because of his attention to detail. He works well with all involved, but remembers who his clients are. End quote. John Grandland is a big Washington football fan. He has a mastery of real estate like few others. In fact, I was talking to him on the phone on Thursday. I had some real estate questions for him. You should have heard the detailed analysis that he gave me. I should have recorded our conversation for the podcast. But anyway, find out what John Grandland can do for you. Visit the website johngsellsforfree.com. That website really says it all. Again, zero commission. The website is johngsellsforfree.com. Dot com, or better yet, call John Grandland. Tell him you want what you heard about on the Al Galdi podcast. Zero commission sale of your home. The phone number is 703-537-6747. That's 703-537-6747. John Grandland, zero commission sale of your home, and tell him Al Galdi sent you. All right, so Jamin Davis, Washington football team on Thursday night, takes the Kentucky linebacker with the number 19 pick in the first round of the 2021 NFL Draft. Does not trade up for a quarterback. Does not, say, take the Notre Dame linebacker, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. Does not take, say, the Virginia Tech offensive tackle, Kristen Darisaw. Here was Ron Rivera very late on Thursday night in a Zoom press conference on why he took Jamin Davis. Fit. Um, he understands our culture. Uh, he, he's got a tremendous background, the kind of background that, that I, I look for. Um, very smart, intelligent young man, uh, plays the game at, at the right tempo. Uh, he understands what they do and, uh, that will translate very well into how we do things. Um, and, uh, he's the kind of, uh, um, fit in terms of he has position flex. He can play all of our linebacking positions. He's got that kind of athletic ability. Uh, he's, he's, he's what you look for in a football player. And you heard the phrase that pays when it comes to Ron Rivera. When it comes to Don Ron, position flex. He loves that phrase. But you also heard Ron bring up the athleticism of Jamin Davis. There's no getting around it. Jamin Davis is a long-armed athletic freak. Jamin Davis was a meteoric riser in the 2021 pre-draft process. This was a guy who not long ago was viewed as maybe a mid-round pick, maybe even someone who doesn't get drafted He then exploded with a very good 2020 junior season at Kentucky, and the rise increased exponentially in the months leading up to the draft. He at the Kentucky Pro Day on March 31st, measured as being 6'3 and a half in 234 pounds, ran a 4.37 second 40-yard dash, and had a 42-inch vertical leap. Now understand this about the 4.3740 that Jamin Davis ran at the Kentucky Pro Day. So 40 times at Pro Days are a little sketchy because you have guys running on different surfaces. There is no like official time that is kept when it comes to the 40 at a Pro Day. It's like a variety of people are keeping these times and just try to collect the 40 times and and go off those. But understand this, the Penn State linebacker, Micah Parsons, the consensus number one linebacker in the 2021 draft, and the guy who, yes, the Dallas Cowboys took with the number 12 pick, in the draft. Boy, was that fitting, right? I mean, we talked about some of the off-the-field concerns with Micah Parsons. Who else does he go to but the Dallas Cowboys? But anyway, Parsons at the Penn State Pro Day, uh, he ran a 40 of 4.39 seconds. Again, the Jamin Davis 40 was 4.37 seconds. So Davis was faster than Parsons. And in fact, for comparison's sake, the fastest 40 by a quarterback 
at an NFL scouting combine ever was Robert Griffin III's 4.4140 in 2012. So Jamin Davis ran a 40-yard dash time that was four one-hundredths of a second faster than RG3's in 2012. And again, Roberts is the fastest recorded 40 for a quarterback at an NFL scouting combine. Just, I mean, tremendous speed possessed by Jamin Davis. If you recall our friend Kent Lee Platty, the Navy veteran, the NFL analytics director for Pro Football Network, the guy behind this thing called the Relative Athletic Score, the RAS. I had Kent Lee Platty on the podcast on episode 40. Remember this RAS thing became a big deal with this tight end who Washington signed recently, Samis Reyes. Anyway, the Relative Athletic Score is all about grading a player's measurements in NFL scouting combine slash pro day metrics on a 0 to 10 scale compared to his peer group. The idea, and it's a good one, is to give context to a player's height, weight, 40 time, bench press, vertical jump, broad jump, etc. Like, we all hear about these measurements and these achievements and these, you know, little things that are done at combine slash pro days. But what do they mean? Like, what's the context behind them? Kentley Platty puts context behind them, given guys' positions, what the guys measure as being, etc. Jamin Davis registered as having the 11th best relative athletic score in the entire 2021 NFL draft class. 11th best. The RAS is on a scale of 0 to 10. Jamin Davis's RAS was 9.94, okay? That's outstanding. That's what Jamin Davis ended up doing. And now you look at this and you say to yourself, all right, so we've spent so much time talking linebacker this offseason. Why hadn't Washington done more at linebacker, right? Especially off Ron Rivera last season, having publicly criticized the linebacking play. And then you get to the offseason here, and not only has Washington barely done anything at linebacker, Washington has lost a key linebacker from last season in Kevin Pierre-Lewis. Well, now you've addressed that, you know, at least somewhat in drafting Jamin Davis. And think about now the speed that Washington possesses at the linebacker position. How many times in recent seasons have you seen Washington linebackers look slow and plotting, you know, think someone like Mason Foster, who had some decent seasons with Washington, okay, but Mason Foster was as slow as they came, it felt like anyway, at the linebacker position, and anytime Mason was in pass coverage, you were in trouble. Now, it is true that Jamin Davis doesn't have a lot of experience in pass coverage, and we'll get to that in just a little bit, but Jamin Davis and Cole Holcomb, a guy who ran a 4-5-140 at the 2019 North Carolina Pro Day. Remember, Washington took Holcomb in the fifth round of the 2019 draft at a UNC. Think about the speed now at backer for Washington with Davis and Holcomb. When's the last time Washington had this kind of speed at the linebacking position? Washington has done such a good job this offseason of upgrading its speed. When you think about signing someone like a Curtis Samuel, you know, now drafting someone like a Jamin Davis, you know, you combine that with guys who were acquired by the team in recent drafts, right? Terry McLaurin in 2019, Antonio Gibson in 2020. Washington is becoming a faster team. The general manager, Martin Mayhew, he spoke on the Zoom press conference late Thursday night. He was Mayhew on Washington becoming a faster team. Well, team speed is very important. I mean, team speed is key, especially on the defensive side of the ball, uh, in terms of shutting other people down, being able to cover ground in the secondary, being able to get guys on the ground. Um, offensively, of course, explosive plays are made by guys who have team speed. So we, we're looking for fast players. We want fast players. We want physical players. We want smart players. Um, and Jamin is all those things. Yes, he is. Jamin Davis is a tackling machine. Jamin Davis is good against the run. Davis in his 2020 junior season for Kentucky ranked fourth in the SEC and 20th in the FBS in tackles per game 
at 10.2 and total tackles at 102. Davis in his 2020 junior season for Kentucky, a run defense grade for pro football focus of 87.5, ranked fourth among all qualified off-ball linebackers on Power 5 conference teams. Sound tackler, good against the run. And speaking of pro football focus, guess who brought up pro football focus late Thursday night? Some more from Ron Rivera, and then you'll hear Martin Mayhew. Well, he was one of the top tacklers in uh, the NCAA last year. Um, pro football focus had him ranked high as the highest linebacker. Uh, he was ranked the 14th top prospect by Mel Kuyper. Um, it goes on and on. I mean, we weren't the only ones that saw that. Um, you know, uh, the athleticism I talk about is the athleticism I saw on tape, uh, which led to tackles. Martin told you he had over 10 tackles in 10 games this year on the average, uh, averaging 10 tackles a game. That's over a hundred. So is a very productive football player to go with that athleticism. Yeah. The, the production really stood out in the run game and the pass game. He had, he, uh, not, not only had over a hundred tackles, he had three interceptions. One, he took it back to the house against Tennessee, which is, was a great play. And he had several pass breakups too. So this guy was around the ball. This guy was active. He was uh, showing up around the ball and making plays. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, there, there are guys that are just athletic on pro days, but you put that tape on, this guy's a football player. He is a, he is a football player. As for how Jamin Davis fits into Washington's linebacker core, you heard Ron earlier bring up Jamin and his position flex, how he can play any specific linebacker spot. Here was from more from Ron on the potential usage of Jamin Davis. Well, the biggest thing, more so anything else, is 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 he plays a stack linebacker position. You know, we are a four three defense now, so we really don't need guys that 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 play up from on the line predominantly. We need guys that have the ability to stack and flow. Um, you know, he played uh, in the SEC, and, and so he's playing high impact football. Uh, you know, he's playing against guys that that will be on Sunday, and he played well against those guys. So that was one of the things that led to. You know, to, to part of this decision, just knowing the, the, the type of competition he faced uh, and was productive against that type of competition. So those are the good things about Jamin Davis, the player. What about Jamin Davis, the person? It's undeniable. Jamin Davis seems to be a guy who fits Ron Rivera's culture reset perfectly. We talked on the podcast, right, about character concerned guys and where was Washington going to fall when it came to potentially drafting character concerned guys, you know, be it the Penn State linebacker, Micah Parsons or somebody else. Washington has been ravaged in recent seasons by wasting first and second round picks on guys who ended up being character deficient in some way. Josh Doxson, first round 2016. Sewer Craven, second round 2016. Darius Geis, second round 2018. Dwayne Haskins, first round 2019. You always have to be careful with this stuff in terms of like, is a guy truly a good guy? Like, we don't know. There's a lot we don't know. But every indication with Jamin Davis is that he is a hard worker, a disciplined person, and a good person. He comes from a military family. Both of his parents are Army veterans. Uh, Davis has this mantra that he espouses, quote, you can't have a million dollar dream with a minimum wage work ethic, end quote. More from Ron late Thursday night on Jamin Davis, the person. Well, I think we're getting a solid fit to, to what we're trying to create in terms of the culture. You know, we, we, we talk about uh, having sustainable winning culture. These are kind of guys that you want to plug in. Um, you know, very strong family support. He's, he's a, he was a military brat. You know, as, as, as it was mentioned earlier, he was born in Hawaii uh, on a military base. 
So, you know, again, I'm very partial to guys like that because uh, I've played with a lot of guys who, who have that kind of family background. Um, he's, a, he, he's a solid young man who's very bright, very intelligent. Um, and as I said, I just really believe he's the right kind of fit for us. How about this from Davis, who's inside linebackers coach at Kentucky, John Sumrall. He said the following to the Washington Post in an article that was published earlier this month. Quote, I can't say enough good about the person. Whoever gets to coach him, regardless of how quickly he becomes a dominant football player in the NFL, they're going to love the person they're dealing with day in, day out. They're going to like the human. They're going to like the man. He's got all these physical tools, and those are special. I mean, he's really, really special athletically. But he is special like just in how he's wired and how he treats people. End quote. I know. This isn't nursery school. You're not trying to teach people that sharing is caring and hold hands and kumbaya and all that sort of a thing. But you want good people in your building. You want good people on your team. You certainly don't want people who you're not going to be able to rely on because they get arrested or they don't work hard or they don't show up. You know, they up and leave as Sewer Cravens did a few years ago. And Jamin Davis seems to bring to the table intangible qualities, you know, things that will better the overall organization, especially an organization, right, in the midst of a sexual harassment scandal, in the midst of so much ugliness for so long, for so many different reasons. Now, look, there are concerns with Jamin Davis, okay? There's a reason he wasn't the first linebacker taken in this draft. Jamin Davis was only a starter at Kentucky for one season, his 2020 junior season. He was a bench guy prior to that. So there's not exactly a giant body of work of this guy has been a high-level producer at the collegiate level for years. Like, no, it was really one season in which he excelled. Also, Jamin Davis was not used that much in pass coverage at Kentucky. And you do the compare and contrast, the linebacker or a linebacker who Washington passed on at number 19, the Notre Dame kid, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, that's a guy who played a lot in pass coverage at Notre Dame. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa actually played a lot of nickel corner in college. I mean, JOK is, is not even just a linebacker. He's more like, you know, a linebacker safety hybrid. You know, he's like a big nickel type, the position that we've talked about Washington wanting to move Landon Collins to. And I don't know if that entered into Washington not taking Owusu Koromoa. It shouldn't have, right? You follow the board and more on that momentarily. But if you're asking, like, what matters more these days in the NFL, stopping the run or stopping the pass with Davis being very good against the run and JOK profiling as someone who could really help you against the pass, like, the answer obviously is the pass. It's a passing league. You want a guy who's good against the pass. We don't know if Jamin Davis is going to be good against the pass. He really didn't play that much in pass coverage at Kentucky. He played virtually no man coverage at Kentucky. So the thing about Washington linebackers struggling to cover tight ends, it's been a thing for years, as you likely know. I don't know that Jamin Davis changes that. For whatever it's worth, he did have five interceptions over his three seasons at Kentucky, including three in that 2020 season, during which he had an 85-yard pick six and a 34-7 win at Tennessee on October 17th. Interceptions are not necessarily reflective of how good you are in coverage, but he is capable in coverage of doing something like, again, five picks over his three seasons. Now, if you are among those saying, well, why didn't Washington take Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa or any of the many other well-regarded linebackers in this draft? Like, why is it that Washington went with Jamin Davis? Why did Washington potentially reach to take Jamin Davis? Well, according to Washington, that's not what happened. Again, more on that in a moment. But understand this, and this is where I think you have to trust in those conducting the process. So you have as your primary decision makers in football operations, the head coach, Ron Rivera, the general manager, Martin Mayhew, 
and the executive vice president of football slash player personnel, Marty Herney. So Herney served two stints as Carolina Panthers general manager. Among those who Herney drafted over his two stints as Panthers GM were three good to great linebackers. Will Witherspoon, third round, 2002 draft. Thomas Davis, number 14 overall, 2005 draft. We obviously had him here last season. And John Beeson, number 25 overall in the 2007 draft. Additionally, Ron worked with Marty for the Carolina Panthers January 2011 to October 2012, then July 2017 to December 2019. During their time together, they drafted one of the best linebackers in NFL history, Luke Keekley, number nine overall in the 2012 draft. Also during Ron's time as head coach, but uh, in between the time for Marty as Panthers GM, the Panthers drafted another guy who ended up being a very good linebacker at the NFL level, Shaq Thompson. Mayhew, he spent 15 years in the Detroit Lions organization, was their GM September 2008 to November 2015. Among those who Mayhew drafted as Lions GM were two good linebackers. DeAndre Levy, third round of the 2009 draft. Tyre Whitehead, fifth round in the 2012 draft. Also, there's the reality that Ron Rivera himself was an NFL linebacker of at least some repute. And the defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio, he was an NFL linebacker who was pretty well thought of. So there's a lot to suggest that the brain trust here knows the linebacker position, you know? And so if you're saying like, oh, gee, they really screwed up in not taking Owusu Koromo. Why did they go with Jamin Davis? Like, you can have questions. And I'm not telling you that uh, this is definitely a slam dunk pick. Like, who knows? Time will tell. But how about we give a little bit of credibility and have at least a little bit of trust in this group here, which, if anything, should know the linebacker position, given who Herney and Mayhew have drafted, given who Ron has drafted, or at least been a part of the draft process for, and given what Ron and Jack have done. Again, they themselves were good linebackers in the NFL. And here is what I've sort of been teasing. Ron, at this Zoom press conference on Thursday night, did say that Jamin Davis was the number one defensive player on Washington's draft board. Now, I know people lie all the time about this stuff. And every pick that every team makes is, oh, he was the number one guy on our board. Or, oh, we wanted that guy all along. Forget about everything else you heard about every other player. So I understand that. But if that's true, and Washington followed its board to that extent to where the number one defensive player is who Washington took in the first round. And if, in fact, the number one defensive player on Washington's board fell to 19 and Washington was able to get that player without trading up, I mean, that's a home run. That's an absolute home run. Now, was Jamin Davis truly the number one defensive player on Washington's draft board? I don't know. But Ron did say that at that Zoom press conference late on Thursday night. I'm a thumbs up on Washington going with Jamin Davis. And again, a lot of this to me has to do with trusting the process, trusting those making the decision. Because if this group should know anything, it should be linebacker. And you combine that with Jamin Davis's exceptional speed and athletic gifts. You combine that with him being a sure tackler. You combine that with Jamin Davis being someone who certainly seems to be a very good fit for the culture reset. I don't know how you can be upset with Washington going Jamin Davis in the first round of the 2021 draft. So there is what Washington did in the first round of the 2021 NFL draft. And then there is what Washington did not do in the first round of the 2021 NFL draft. Five quarterbacks did end up being selected 
in the first round. It was not, though, five quarterbacks in the top 10. As everyone thought, Jacksonville Jaguars did go with a Clemson quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, at one. New York Jets did go with a BYU quarterback, Zach Wilson, at two. Then the draft truly began, and we had our first at least semi-surprise, although if you follow the betting markets, you weren't surprised because this guy became the betting favorite to go number three overall as Thursday progressed. But the San Francisco 49ers did take the North Dakota State quarterback, Trey Lance, with the number three pick. There is a whole lot to be uncovered about what the heck happened here with the 49ers and them going Trey Lance as opposed to Mac Jones. Because the reporting had been consistent. The reporting really had been unequivocal. The Niners made that massive trade up to number three to take the Alabama quarterback, Mac Jones. Like that had been reported ad nauseum. ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter on April 6th on ESPN radio said that he would be shocked if the Niners didn't take Mac Jones with the number three overall pick. And then did you see what Schefter tweeted moments after the Niners took Lance on Thursday night? This is really interesting. Quote, 49ers did not tell their coaches or scouts their pick. They didn't know the team was selecting Trey Lance until the pick was announced. End quote. I know there is this theory of the Niners would have never made the massive trade up to three to take a guy like Jones. It had to have been for someone like a Trey Lance, and that this was chicanery all along by Kyle. This was a smokescreen all along by Kyle. And I guess maybe that's possible, but the more you sort of read and hear about this, the more it does really come off as maybe initially Kyle Shanahan made that trade up to take Mac Jones. Remember, the Niners employ a coach-centric approach like Washington does. So Kyle Shanahan is the head coach, is the one uh, having final say-so on football operations. The general manager for San Francisco, John Lynch, is underneath Kyle Shanahan, not above him. But yeah, I mean, I think what may have happened is the Niners made the trade initially with the idea that Mac Jones is going to be the guy, and then somewhere along the way, things changed. And I don't know who was on what side. I don't know why they changed, but they seemingly changed, you know, and that Kyle wanted Mac and Mac Jones, you know, he did profile as a kind of like quick speed processing quarterback that Kyle likes. But somewhere, obviously, things got altered, and the Niners did end up going with Trey Lance at number three overall. Jones ended up going to the New England Patriots at number 15 overall. That is certainly something that had been mocked quite a bit. And yes, the Chicago Bears traded up to number 11 to take the Ohio State quarterback, Justin Fields. And as Justin Fields and Mac Jones were falling, and if you were on social media, you certainly saw this, this was the talking point regarding our team, the Washington football team. We were in clear trade-up territory for a quarterback. Was Washington gonna make the move? And the answer, obviously, ended up being no. The Bears, who had the 20th overall pick in the draft, ended up moving up nine spots to number 11. Washington would have only had to move up eight spots. And the cost for the Bears to do this is certainly uh, onerous, but it's not, you know, some unbelievably ridiculous price that was paid either. The Bears traded their 2021 first round pick, number 20 overall, a 2021 fifth round pick, a 2022 first round pick, and a 2022 fourth round pick to the New York Giants for their 2021 first round pick, number 11 overall. So essentially to get fields, the Bears gave up two ones, a four, and a five. And spending that ended up getting the Bears Justin Fields. So it's not nothing. But it's also not, you know, some ridiculous thing of like three ones, two twos, you know, that sort of a thing. So do you wish that Washington had done this? Here was Ron Rivera very late on Thursday night in a Zoom press conference 
on why Washington didn't trade up for Justin Fields. Well, we just felt looking at where we are right now with what we're doing, uh, to be patient, to sit and wait and see what happens, uh, we felt strong about it. We really did. You know, this isn't just about trying to, 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 you know, put a piece. We have a chance to put pieces into place. And so we felt that's probably a better direction. At least I believe that's a better direction for us right now. All right, so that's what Ron said late on Thursday night. And I don't know about you, but here's how I interpret what Ron said. We liked Justin Fields, but we didn't love Justin Fields. And to me, all you have to do is follow the actions here. If Washington loved Justin Fields as much as had been said, then Washington would have traded up to take Justin Fields. Because like I said, the price that the Bears paid to go from 20 to 11 really wasn't that exorbitant. Like relatively speaking, Chicago spent two ones, a four and a five to take Justin Fields. Like if you really believe in the guy, you pay that price. Washington very clearly was not willing to pay that price or something a little more. Now it was out there a lot, especially in recent days, that Washington liked Justin Fields, that Fields was the guy who Washington was targeting, not Trey Lance. John Keim of ESPN talked about that. Ben Standing of The Athletic DC talked about that. Kevin Sheehan of the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast and the Team 980 talked about that. And I'm not saying they were wrong. You know, I think it's very possible that Washington liked Justin Fields. I like Justin Fields, but there's a difference between liking someone and loving someone. You know, there are degrees of like. And while Ron Rivera may have liked Justin Fields, I think it's as clear as can be now. Ron Rivera did not love Justin Fields. And here's my thing. If you don't love him, then you don't give up whatever is necessary to trade up to take him. And Washington didn't do that. And I applaud that. Now, you better be right, okay? I mean, if Justin Fields ends up killing it for the Bears, we're going to look back upon Thursday night as, good God, all they had to do was spend two ones, a four and a five, or maybe a little more than that, and they could have had themselves Justin Fields. But this is the way Ron and company very clearly view Justin Fields. And we'll see if they're proven right. You know, Justin Fields, to me, it's been a very complicated thing. There are things to love about him. He's a physical freak. At the Ohio State Pro Day, right, he ran the 4-4-4-40. He's an accomplished guy, a two-year starter for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Extremely accurate was Justin Fields. In college, he avoided the turnover-worthy play Fields did. In college, he played out of his mind in that Ohio State 49-28 win over Clemson in the college football playoff semis this past season. Like, there is a lot to like with Justin Fields, but there are also concerns. He struggled in two of his final three games at Ohio State. He did not have much in the way of tight window completions. At Ohio State, you go by Pro Football Focus, 423 career collegiate completions for Fields at Georgia and Ohio State, just 54 tight window completions per PFF. There was the stuff with the work ethic, okay, that Dan Orlovsky of ESPN brought up on the Pat McAfee show back on March 31st. Now, is that true that uh, Fields is lacking in work ethic? I have no idea, okay, but you do have to at least ask the question, like, where did that come from, from a guy in Orlovsky who has a very good reputation? So yeah, man, like, I don't know. You can't know with these guys. We've talked about this. The bus rate on first-round quarterbacks is basically two out of three. So not all five of these guys taken in the first round of Thursday night are going to hit. You know, statistically speaking, it's like at least three out of the five aren't going to work out. Is Justin Fields among those three? He could be. He's not a certainty. Contrary to what some people say, he's not a certainty. He's very gifted. Like I said, there's a lot to like with him. There's a lot that he brings to the table to be intrigued by. But there are also reasons to be concerned. 
And so if Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew, Marty Herney, et al. had those concerns and just weren't truly feeling it, like, again, you like them, but you don't love them, then don't spend what it's going to take to get them. Point blank, period. Okay? Like, I'm fine with that. Again, you better be right, okay? <laughs> I mean, that's going to be, as we like to say, a big matzo ball that you're going to have to swallow if Justin Fields ends up becoming a franchise quarterback for the Bears for the next 10 to 15 years. But you have to trust your instincts. You have to trust your beliefs. You have to trust your evaluations. Like, this is why Ron and Martin and Marty and the rest of these people are here. They're here to make these decisions. When you find a guy you love, when you find someone who you really, truly believe is going to become a franchise quarterback, then you do everything you can to get him. But what you should never do is make yourself fall in love with someone. Make yourself believe that someone is a franchise quarterback when deep down you don't really feel that way. That's why I have loved the way that Washington has handled this offseason at the quarterback position. Washington has given itself options in signing Ryan Fitzpatrick, re-signing Taylor Heineke, and Kyle Allen. You don't have to do anything at quarterback this offseason. Now, again, if you see someone you love, then go get them, 100%. But you don't have to force yourself to fall in love this offseason because the cupboard is bare. The cupboard is not bare at quarterback. Now, how filled the cupboard is, time will tell, okay? And we can debate that. But you have viable options at quarterback for 2021 and maybe beyond. Who knows? And oh, by the way, the draft just started. So let's see what Washington does at the quarterback position moving forward. But I do not have a problem with Washington having not traded up for Justin Fields. And this has nothing to do with Dwayne Haskins having been a bust. It's never been fair to judge Fields through the Haskins prism. Dwayne Haskins being a flop has nothing to do with what's going to end up happening with Justin Fields. This just has to do with how you evaluate Fields and just the general nature of drafting quarterbacks and, again, how frequently the first-round quarterback does not work out. Now, the first-round quarterback hits at a better rate than non-first-round quarterbacks do. That is true, but it's still, again, like a 33% hit rate. It's really bad. So if you're going to give up assets, you know, whatever those assets are, you got to have reasonable faith that the guy is going to hit. And if Ron Rivera didn't have that with Justin Fields, what did you want Ron to do? Just make the trade up anyway? Say, hey, well, we got a quarterback. You know, like, no, you do things you believe in. You have conviction in your actions. You don't force yourself into doing things. That's how you get into trouble. Look, I've been a fan of the Washington football team my whole life. I want a franchise quarterback. We have been yearning for a franchise quarterback since the heyday of Joe Theismann. And that was before my time. I have no memory of Joe Theismann playing. So yeah, man, like there needs to be an aggressive approach to trying to finally figure out getting a franchise quarterback here. But that doesn't mean that you overreach. That doesn't mean that you overextend yourself. And if Ron Rivera felt like trading up to take Justin Fields was an overreach, was an overextension, then he shouldn't have done it. And then I'm glad that he didn't do it. Well, speaking of trading for a quarterback, how about the situation for the Green Bay Packers with quarterback Aaron Rodgers? A bombshell dropped by ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter on Thursday, hours before the start of the first round of the 2021 NFL Draft. Schefter reporting that Rodgers is so disgruntled with the Packers that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. Uh, Schefter reported that the Packers are aware of Rodgers' feelings, concerned about them, and had had the team president, Mark Murphy, the former Washington defensive back, the general manager, Brian Gutekunst, and the head coach, Matt LaFleur, the former Washington quarterbacks coach, each fly out on separate trips to meet with Rodgers 
at various points this offseason. Schefter also reported that the Packers have offered to extend Rodgers' contract. And I got a kick out of this. Schefter reported that Rodgers is unhappy for a variety of reasons, including not having been informed by the Packers when they traded up in the first round of the 2020 draft to take quarterback Jordan Love. More on that in just a bit. Rodgers, as we speak these days, right, has been a busy person. He recently got engaged to the actress Shailene Woodley, uh, recently had that stint as the host of Jeopardy. It's actually become a thing of Aaron Rodgers maybe becoming the permanent host of Jeopardy. And some people have said, well, he could still play quarterback for the Packers, or I guess now whoever, and be the host of Jeopardy. But like, there's been a lot going on with Aaron Rodgers. And perhaps he's in a different place in his life now, right? He's about to get married. He's hosting Jeopardy that, uh, hey, you know, he doesn't necessarily need to be the Green Bay Packers QB1 anymore. For what it's worth, the uh, aforementioned Packers GM Brian Gutekunst did say late on Thursday night that Green Bay is not trading Rodgers. Quote, we're not going to trade Aaron Rodgers, end quote. And Gutekunst did acknowledge the problems. Quote, we've been working through this for a little while now, and I just think it may take some time, but he's a guy that kind of makes this thing go. He gives us the best chance to win, and we're going to work towards that end, end quote. So that's what the Packers are saying publicly, but we all know people can say things publicly, but privately, the belief may be something very different. This has been a thing for months, as you likely know, this brewing tension between Rodgers and the Packers. It was right after the end of Green Bay's 2020 season, that 31-26 home loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFC Championship game this past postseason, that Rodgers very cryptically said, quote, the Packers have a lot of guys' futures that are uncertain, myself included, end quote. And those comments, as you likely remember, became a big deal because it's not like Rodgers' contract is coming up. So people are like, what are you talking about? Your future is uncertain. Like, why is that a thing? Where is that coming from? Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk on January 25th reported that Rodgers, per a league source, wanted a new contract. And NFL insider Jason Lockenfora, CBS Sports, the next day, January 26th, reported the following from a text that he got from an NFL head coach who Lockenfora would not identify regarding Rodgers and Packers head coach Matt LaFleur. Quote, it's never really been good between him and the coach. It's been a long feeling out process and it looks like it's over. Aaron knows exactly what he is saying and exactly what he is doing. End quote. So, of course, with our team, the Washington football team needing a franchise quarterback. What about it? If the Packers are going to trade Aaron Rodgers, and that's still a big if, but if Rodgers is about to become available, if he's not available already, how about we just skip to the front of the line and forget about trading up in the first round to take someone and just trade for the best freaking quarterback on the planet right now in Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers, by the way, is coming off the best season, statistically speaking, of his career. This past season, his age 37 season, he won his third Associated Press MVP award. He led the NFL in the regular season in ESPN's total QBR, completion percentage, and touchdown passes. He has now led the NFL in each of the last three regular seasons in lowest interception percentage. In fact, Aaron Rodgers is number one in the history of the NFL among qualified quarterbacks and lowest career regular season interception percentage at 1.35. We all know it. Aaron Rodgers is spectacular. He's under contract through the 2023 season. He, in August 2018, signed a four-year $134 million contract extension with about $79 million 
fully guaranteed at signing. He is older. He's going into his age 38 season. But as we have seen with, of course, Tom Brady and actually a guy currently under contract to Washington, Ryan Fitzpatrick, guys can play quarterback at a high level well into their 30s, if not their 40s. So the idea of Aaron Rodgers having at least another three, four good years left is not far-fetched at all. Heck yeah, I would want Washington to be in on trading for Aaron Rodgers. And heck yeah, I'd be willing to give up a lot to get Aaron Rodgers. You're getting a known entity. You're getting a guy who isn't just good, but is all-time great, okay? Like, he's on the short list of the greatest quarterbacks ever. I'm not saying he's number one, but he's top 10. I mean, the numbers this guy has put up really are spectacular, but there's a big but with all this, okay, for whoever ends up trading for Rodgers, if he ends up getting traded. That's the first thing, right? Is he going to get traded Are the Packers actually going to pull the trigger on something like this? But you would have to be totally certain that you would not be getting a malcontent. You would have to be totally certain if you're Washington that Aaron Rodgers wants to come here, is excited to come here, and is going to play ball here. And I mean that literally and figuratively. Because the truth about Aaron Rodgers is this. Well, I do think he has reason to be disgruntled with the Packers. It is bizarre what the Packers did in the 2020 drafts first round, trading up to take a quarterback. Like, it's not just that Green Bay took Jordan Love. Green Bay traded up to take Jordan Love. Green Bay, to me, has not done the best of jobs building up the offense around Rodgers in terms of bringing in guys who can really make this thing as good as it can be. And the Packers have been a good team, and the Packers have good skill position players. But, you know, you look at something like what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did to fortify things for Tom Brady, right? You sign Brady and you do what? You trade for tight end Rob Gronkowski. You sign receiver Antonio Brown. There was an urgency with the Buccaneers last offseason and season to build things up as best as the Bucs could to make this run, to be all in with Brady, a quarterback. You've not gotten that sense from the Green Bay Packers, even though, like I said, the Packers do have good skill position players. You know, receiver Devontae Adams, tight end Robert Tunyon, running backs Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, and A.J. Dillon. It's not like Aaron has had nothing with which to work on the Packers. But there's a bigger phenomenon here with the Packers, and it's something I've talked about, and that is Green Bay has not accomplished nearly enough during this run with Aaron Rodgers as a franchise quarterback. The Packers won the Super Bowl for the 2010 season, but Green Bay since then has lost four NFC Championship games, those for the 2014, 2016, 2019, and 2020 seasons. Rodgers became the Packers franchise quarterback beginning with the 2008 season. All the Packers have to show for his run as Packers franchise quarterback, 2008 through 2020, 13 seasons is one Super Bowl title and one Super Bowl appearance. Now, one Super Bowl title is better than zero Super Bowl titles. But to me, the Packers should have made multiple Super Bowls during this 13-year stretch. Hasn't happened. But I'll say this about Rodgers. He can be a pain in the butt, okay? Aaron Rodgers is not the easiest guy to get along with. There was that massive article that came out from Bleacher Report a few years ago. April 2019 was written by a former Packers beat reporter, Tyler Dunn. Uh, the article had the headline, What Happened in Green Bay? And the article detailed, among many things, massive friction that existed between Rodgers and Mike McCarthy, who was the Packers head coach from 2006 to 2018. McCarthy was the San Francisco 49ers offensive coordinator in 2005 when they chose our old pal, Bitter Bob, uh, quarterback Alex Smith, with the number one pick in the 2005 NFL draft, in which, as you likely remember, Rodgers plummeted to number 24. And one of the real key points in the article is that Rodgers was bitter at McCarthy for that, that Rodgers was still peeved 
about sitting in the green room waiting as he fell in that 2005 draft. And McCarthy, because he was the Niners offensive coordinator, Rodgers felt that McCarthy preferred Alex over Aaron, and Rodgers always held that against McCarthy years later. I mean, it sounds a little ridiculous, but apparently that was a thing, at least according to this article, and Rodgers would rip McCarthy behind his back. Read the article, quote, nobody holds a grudge in any sport like Rodgers. When it comes to Rodgers, grudges do not merrily float away. They stick, they grow, they refuel. One person who was then close to Rodgers remembers he would regularly call to vent that McCarthy didn't have a clue what he was doing. He'd tell him that McCarthy frequently called the wrong play, that he used the wrong personnel, that they were running plays that worked one out of 50 times in practice, that McCarthy was a buffoon he was constantly bailing out. Mike has a low football IQ, and that used to always bother Aaron, this source said. He'd say Mike has one of the lowest IQs, if not the lowest IQ, of any coach he's ever had. End quote. So there was a huge issue, per this article, between Rodgers and McCarthy. Uh, some of Aaron's former Packers teammates have been critical of him. Guys like Jermichael Finley, the former Packers tight end. Greg Jennings, the former Packers receiver. Uh, Rodgers, as you may know, has had problems with his family. Uh, at least he hadn't been speaking with his family. I don't know if that's changed, but his family told the New York Times in 2017 that the family did not have contact with Aaron Rodgers. Now, is all of this the fault of Aaron Rodgers? You know, him not getting along with McCarthy, uh, Jermichael Finley and Greg Jennings having negative things to say about Rodgers, Rodgers' family not having been in contact with Aaron. Like, is all that Aaron Rodgers' fault? I don't know. You know, I mean, it's a little uh, unfair to just assume that it all is. But you got to wonder, a guy who's had this many problems with uh, this many people, like, uh, <laughs> chances are he's had something to do with it, right? And, and just, you know, kind of seeing how he comes off, like he comes off like a diva. He's an all-time great quarterback, and he knows it, all right? And he's not really shy about telling you about it. So if Washington was to make this move and to give up whatever it would take to get him, okay, to get Aaron Rodgers, you're talking multiple ones. You know, you're talking probably uh, more draft picks than just a bunch of ones. You're probably throwing in a player of consequence, maybe two players of consequence, depending on how many picks you're giving up. It's a lot like the Deshaun Watson conversation we were having weeks ago before it came out that Deshaun likes to have his uh, eh -huh, uh massaged by about, you know, 80 different women across the United States. But anyway, <laughs> you know, it, it, there's a lesson with the Deshaun thing, right, of be careful. And if you're going to pay a price to get someone, like we just talked about with Justin Fields, boy, you better be sure that that someone is good to go and is someone who can be your franchise quarterback for years to come. So with Rodgers, you would have to be careful, not so much from a legal standpoint, but from a standpoint of, is he going to be all in? Like, is he going to be a malcontent here? Or does he want to be a part of what you're building here? Like I said, I mean, Ron Rivera did go to Cal, just like Aaron Rodgers did. I don't know if there's a relationship or not, but heck yeah. If I'm Ron Rivera, if I'm Martin Mayhew, if I'm Marty Herney, make the phone call to the Packers just to see how real is this that the Packers are saying now we're not trading Rodgers. Well, did you say that because you mean that? Or did you just say that to say that? You know, it's one thing to question giving up a bunch of draft picks for a guy just coming into the NFL who you have no idea what he's going to end up being. It's another thing to give up draft picks for someone who not only do you know who he is, but he is one of the greatest quarterbacks ever, and he's still playing at an exceptionally high level. That's what you would be doing for Aaron Rodgers. So heck yeah, Washington should be willing to make that trade. How realistic such a trade is, I have my doubts, but at the very least, make the phone call and see what might be possible. Because the idea, however remote, of Aaron Rodgers throwing 
to the likes of Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel and Logan Thomas and Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick and Rodgers being the starting quarterback for a defense that features Chase Young and Montez Sweat and Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne and Matt Ioannidis and William Jackson III and Kendall Fuller and Cameron Curl and now Jamin Davis. Uh, that, my friends, is a spectacular thought to have, and Washington, for the first time in three decades, would be a legit Super Bowl contender. All right, so a few non-Washington football team draft-related items for you on this Friday installment of the podcast, and let's talk some Capitals who are going back to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Surprising? No, we knew that this was coming, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't highlight this when it actually goes down. So the Capitals on Thursday night, a 5-4 overtime loss to the Pittsburgh Penguins at Capital One Arena. The Caps, in getting a point in this game, clinched a playoff spot. The Penguins also clinched a playoff spot. But the Capitals now are going to the postseason for a seventh consecutive season, for a 13th time in 14 seasons, and get this, for a 31st time in 38 seasons. Now, I know, I know, you say, Goldie, a lot of teams make the Stanley Cup playoffs every year in the NHL. True that. But not every team has done what the Capitals have done. In fact, very few teams can say that they've even come close to doing what the Capitals have done. Seven straight playoff appearances, 13 playoff appearances in 14 years, and 31 playoff appearances in 38 seasons. And understand this, the Caps aren't like sneaking into the postseason year in and year out. The Capitals consistently making the playoffs. That's not a function of the NHL every year having eight teams in each conference making the Stanley Cup playoffs. The Caps routinely win their division or at worst finish second in their division. They are steamrolling toward doing one or the other this year, right? Either winning the East or finishing second in the East. And all the Caps do is make postseasons. Now look, as a lifelong Caps fan, Would I like for there to have been more achievement in these postseasons over the years? No doubt. I mean, if the Caps have only made it past the second round in the Stanley Cup playoffs a mere three times, 1990, 1998, and 2018, that is a tough pill to swallow if you're like me and a Caps fan. But still, to falter in postseasons, to disappoint in postseasons, you must do what? You must make postseasons. And very few teams in pro sports have made postseasons with the consistency that the Capitals have displayed over four decades. I mean, think about that. 31 playoff appearances in 38 years. That is freakish. And yet that's exactly what the Capitals have done. Now, also on Thursday night, the New York Islanders won at the New York Rangers 4-0. The Boston Bruins beat the Buffalo Sabres 5-2. So as we speak on this Friday, Caps and Pens are tied atop the East at 69 points. Islanders are third at 65 points. Bruins are fourth at 64 points. So we are still very much bunched in tight when it comes to the top four teams in the East Division. Caps, of course, had that great three-game stretch against the Islanders, 3-0-0. On Thursday night, the Caps began a stretch of two consecutive home games against the Penguins. You do get the point, but you do lose the game. Caps are home to the Penguins again Saturday night at seven. Now, the Caps were without Alex Ovechkin again on Thursday night. Ovi missing a third consecutive game due to a lower body injury that was suffered in that one nothing shootout win at the Islanders the previous Thursday night, April 22nd. You know, this was not said to be a big deal, but here we are, Ovi now 
has missed three consecutive games. I wonder if the Caps are just playing it conservative with Ovechkin or if the injury is in fact worse than uh, we were kind of initially led to believe. The good injury news for the Caps on Thursday night was that Justin Schultz was back. The defenseman returning from a three-game absence caused by a lower body injury of his own. And he looked good. Uh, Two primary assists. He was six on the Caps and five-on-five shot attempt percentage per natural stat trick. Uh, Did have a first period interference penalty, but it was good to get Schultz back out there. Caps were up 3-2 in the second period on Thursday night, then allowed three of the game's final four goals. But to get to overtime and to get the point, they got a huge goal late from Tom Wilson. Even strength goal 1945 into the third period on a wrister from the low slot with the Caps having an empty net and an extra attacker. So a great job by Wilson to score that goal. Great job by the Caps to send the game to overtime so you at least get the point. Caps did do a good job in the puck possession battle. Uh, actually finished with 11 5-on-5 high danger shot attempts to the Penguins 5 per natural stat trick. The problem was the goaltending. Uh, Vitek Vanacek, interestingly, was the cap starting goaltender for a second consecutive game and for a second time in four games. And it looked good. You know, he looked good in the previous game. He pitched a shutout in the previous game, that one nothing win in which the Capitals just ravaged the Islanders at Capital One Arena on Tuesday night. But Vanacek on Thursday night did not look nearly as sharp. He stopped just 30 of the 35 shots on goal that he faced. He was atrocious on high danger shots on goal. Per natural stat trick, Vanacek stopped just one of the five high danger shots on goal that he faced. I mean, it's not like he was peppered with a bunch of high danger shots that he had to defend, and he only stopped one of the five. That was really bad. And he gave up a goal on a low danger shot per natural stat trick. So this was a game where the goaltending cost the Caps. It hasn't been often you've been able to say that this year, but that was the case to me on Thursday night. Uh, Caps did win the special teams battle, one for three on the power play, three for three on the penalty kill. Daniel Sprong had another goal. How about this guy? Sprong's been playing because Ovechkin's been out. Sprong had an even strength goal, 15.07 into the second period for a 3-2 Caps lead. His fourth goal over the last three games, right? Obi's been out the last three games. Sprong has scored four goals over those three games. Somebody doesn't want to come out of the lineup when the grade eight is healthy again. And Nicholas Backstrom had three assists. So the Caps now 32-13-5. and We are headed toward the final week of the regular season. The Capitals only have six games left. Their last game in the regular season is Tuesday, May 11th. So you got a little more than a week left in the regular season. But regardless of how things pan out, regardless of whether the Caps win the East Division, we do know that the Caps are going back to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Again, 31st time in 38 seasons. That doesn't get talked about enough. The Caps deserve a ton of credit for that. No game for the Nationals on Thursday. They begin a six-game homestand with game one of a three-game series against the Miami Marlins Friday night at 7.05. The Orioles, though, did play on Thursday, and the Orioles did win a 4-3, 10-inning win over the New York Yankees on Thursday afternoon at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. The O's end up splitting four games with the mighty Yankees in Baltimore. And so, Joe Angel, if you would. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, they were. O's now are 11 and 14. Same for the Yankees. The Orioles and the Yankees, each with an 11 and 14 record, 25 games into the season. So the O's were in the win column despite another bad start by Jorge Lopez. Two runs in four innings on four singles, two walks, a hit by pitch, and a wild pitch versus three strikeouts. He threw just 48 of his 79 pitches for strikes. Uh, Lopez now with a 748 ERA over five starts this season. What really did well for the Orioles was the bullpen. And I say that even though Cesar Valdez blew the save 
in the top of the ninth inning. So five Orioles relievers in a game combined to allow just one run in six innings with seven strikeouts. Now, like I said, Valdez did blow it. He allowed the game-tying run in the top of the ninth on two walks into two-out RBI ground rule double by Glaber Torres on a 1-2 pitch. But you had a lot of good showings from Orioles relievers in this game. Adam Pletko tossed two into third scoreless innings. Tanner Scott recorded two strikeouts in a scoreless top of the 10th, despite beginning it right with the runner on second base. Here's the deal with Orioles relievers. And the bullpen hasn't been perfect. And it's a little tricky sometimes with bullpens. Like you can't just go by ERA because when relievers allow inherited runners to score, those runs aren't charged to the relievers, right? If you come in for a starter and you got a couple of guys on and the reliever gives up a hit and those guys score, those runs are charged to the starter, not to the reliever. But still, Orioles relievers over 94 and two-thirds innings this season an ERA at 295. I mean, that's really good. A 295 bullpen ERA for the Orioles over 94 and two-thirds innings. And you saw more bullpen success overall in this win on Thursday afternoon. Also, more success for Cedric Mullins. How good has he been? Starting center fielder, number one batter, leadoff single in the bottom of the first, a leadoff five-pitch walk into go-ahead run in the bottom of the eighth, and the walk-off RBI sack fly in the bottom of the 10th inning. Mullins had that big game in game one of this series, the 4-2 win on Monday night, two homers and a double. Mullins is batting 340. He's got a 393 on base percentage. He has a 526 slugging percentage. Also, big game for Trey Mancini on Thursday. That was good to see. I mean, obviously, Mancini, there's a story of him coming back from not playing at all last season due to colon cancer. He's not been that great so far, but he has had some big games. He had a big game on Thursday. Three hits, two RBI, one out RBI single on an 0-2 pitch in the bottom of the first, a two-out single in the bottom of the third, and a leadoff homer off the top of the wall in left center in the bottom of the sixth. The homer was hit at 110.5 miles per hour for StatCast. So good to see that for Mancini. Uh, he's only batting 247, only has a 311 on base, but he is slugging 462. So he has hit for some power so far this year. And Austin Hayes had a big hit on Thursday afternoon. He was the Orioles starting left fielder, number two batter. Hayes, a go-ahead first pitch ribby double off the ex-Oriole, Darren O'Day. Yes, he's still in the major leagues. Uh, bottom of the eighth inning for a 3-2 Orioles lead. Hayes had two big outfield assists over... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Games one and two. Uh, in the series. There was some other Orioles news. Wade LeBlanc did clear waivers and did choose to become a free agent. The O's on Thursday announced that. O's on Sunday designated LeBlanc for assignment off him struggling in that spot start in the 7-2 loss to the Oakland A's last Saturday night. Four runs 
in one and a third innings. Next up for the O's, six-game trip out west against the top two teams in the American League West. Three games at the A's, followed by three games at the Seattle Mariners. All right, guys, look, no one's perfect. Even the best baseball players strike out with the bases loaded. The best golfers sometimes three-putt with the tournament on the line. So if you feel like you come up short in the bedroom sometimes, it's perfectly okay. But if it's bothering you, there are options. Go to GetRoman.com slash AlGaldi now. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash AlGaldi and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash AlGaldi now to get $15 off your first month. Look, there's a straightforward way to take care of your ED. GetRoman.com slash AlGaldi. Get started now to save $15 on your first month of treatment. All right, that will do it for you and me. Keep the feedback coming. What do you think about the Washington football team spending the number 19 overall pick in the 2021 NFL Draft on the Kentucky linebacker, Jamin Davis? You know where I stand. You can tweet me at AlGaldi. You can email me, the AlGaldi podcast at Yahoo. Don't forget, not one, but two special installments of this podcast this weekend. A Saturday pod to recap whatever Washington does in the second and third rounds of the draft on Friday night, and a Sunday pod to discuss whatever our team does on Saturday in rounds four through seven of the draft. Whole lot of possibilities. There's going to be a lot to get into. I am certain of that. Looking forward to it. Have a great weekend, but don't forget, I'll talk to you on Saturday. Brandon Scherf.